either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, it's not a holiday weekend yet, but it is National Cinema Day weekend, and we'll talk about that as well as all the new things you can check out at the cinema or at home this weekend. It is the Screening Room Podcast. Welcome to it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. Let's start in theaters first. It is a unbelievable story of a team of underdogs, a struggling working-class gamer, a failed former race car driver, and an idealistic motorsport exec who risk it all to take on the most elite sport in the world. This is Gran Turismo. I'm sorry. You really think you're going to take a kid who plays video games in their bedroom, you're going to strap him to a 200-mile-an-hour rocket. It'll tear him to pieces. I had to hustle hard, never give up. This whole thing is insane, but out of the couch-surfing nerds that you sent me, he is the best one. You made it. Yes! Welcome to Team Nissan. What's next? Major leagues. If you miss a line in the game, you reset. You miss it on the track, you could die. I know this track. I've raced it a thousand times. That's what I'm talking about. It is an unbelievable story. A crazy story of a gamer, a video game champion race car driver actually becoming a race car driver. This happened. It has been a good year for crazy behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, that is didn't true. You know this really happened stories. It has been. That is true. Uh, as as big a, of a sports fan as I am, and you are too, we're not really racing fans, so no. this story escaped me uh, completely. And we're not really gamers either. No. Nope. But this is an interesting story, I, I got to say. And it's... Uh, it's based around back in 2011, I believe it was, and the story that they tell in the in the movie starts with a marketing executive from Nissan, played by Orlando Bloom, and he notices quite rightly because we saw this with our own with our own son years ago that young people coming up were losing the, really the interest in driving, yep. the excitement of driving, but he did notice that millions of them love the thrill of playing the PlayStation game Gran Turismo. And he wanted to tap in to some of that excitement and get them excited about driving real cars. So, at least in the movie, he's the one that proposed this contest to find the 10 best simulated or sim racers in the world and send them to a boot camp where they learn to drive real race cars and then put the champion from that boot camp on Team Nismo. Nissan's team and go racing, uh, so that's uh, what it's what it's based on. And once they do that, and the the main guy that we follow through this is the the uh, guy that actually became the racer, Jan Mardenborough is his name. And he's played by Archie Madukwe. I think I pronounced that right. Who we've seen in well, we just saw in Heart of Stone, the Gal Gadot, and then we saw him in Midsummer. Are we just gonna ignore that bear? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's him. him. Yeah, yeah. So he plays Jan, who really just. That's his thrill in life. That's all he really wants to do is play this racing game, Gran Turismo. And even though we're not gamers, they do make it look cool. <laughs> um, and, don't, and and no, going in, there's a lot of product placement in this movie for sure because it's based around PlayStation, right. and Nissan, right. So there's a lot of that. Uh, but it does, it does look cool, and he's great at it. So he gets invited into this uh, tournament, and of course he scores one of the top ten. 
and gets invited to the the boot camp that is run by the the driver training instructor is played by David Harbour, mm-hmm. who we know most recently or most probably most famously from Stranger Things, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Oh yeah, and he's always good, and he's good here because of course he feels like this is stupid. They're all going to die. He makes like literally die. Yeah, yeah exactly because they're running two hundred some miles yeah. an hour. And he said, you know, you're in your parents' basement playing video games. You have no business being out here. And when they do finally pick a winner, every other driver on the circuit is going to hate your guts and try to crash you mm-hmm. because you have no business being out here. It's like, you know, singers, uh, it, it's even worse than like a singer's winning a, a contest, a singing contest that we have now and becoming superstars. And other people feel they didn't pay their dues. Right. Well, they can't die singing, but these people can not only injure themselves, but other racers on the on the circuit. So you've got all that. So he has a lot of doubts about the fact that anyone can even do it. So you've got a lot of that going into it. And of course, we already know how it came out. So the hook here is just the journey. And when when they stick to that, it's pretty effective. The director is Neil Blomkamp, mm-hmm. who we know. District 9. District 9. And then other bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when they do stick to the racing, it's it's framed very well. And he finds some some stylish ways to mix the world of sim racing and real racing that I think is is pretty effective when the screen will sort of mash between game graphics and then real cars and back and forth. And the actual racing is is filmed pretty well once they get out on the track. So I think those parts, that's the hook here. Yeah, for that's sure. really the hook. The the incredible story and how this guy and, and the the people on his team learn to move from the console, you know, the fake uh, car to a real car. It gets bogged down a little too much, I think, in the the melodrama of Jan's upbringing, most specifically his relationship with his father, right. played by John Munhunsu. Yeah, and who his father is a former footballer, they say, soccer player for us, you know, heathen Americans. <laughs> um, and they, they frame it as being his father being disappointed because his son Jan is also not a soccer player and he'd rather play video games. And they really pour that on much too much, um, and it, it bloats the running time. We're, we're pushing, we push two hours and 20 minutes here. Which is it's just too much, and they yes, and that's too damn long. It's too much. They they seem like they were trying to go for some sort of you know rocky search for dignity story in the middle of of this uh, underdog racing uh, racing story, and it's just the way they present it is not strong enough to hold it. It's just not, and it distracts. Like let's get back to the racing. Right. Let's get back to the racing. That's the hook. That's what is successful most success, mostly successful about this movie because when they're on that part of it. Blomkamp keeps the the pedal to the metal. It moves, and it and it holds your interest. And when they're on the family stuff, and by the way, I should say it's not a big part, but Jan's mother is played by Jerry Hallowell, who Ginger Spice. we used to know as Ginger Spice. That's right. I was watching. I'm going, is that who I think it is? And then they would show another scene. I'm like, no, it's not her. And then I then I yes, it is. And <laughs> it is her, and she's fine. She's not asked to do a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, but she's fine. Um, so anyway. Overall, the acting, you know, the the performances are fine. There's a lot of nice uh, antagonistic interplay between Orlando Bloom and David Harbour because, you know, Harbour's character just, he's not on board with this at all. He just kind of was forced into walking away from the job he had training, being on the team of a real driver. 
and he just sort of took it as, all right, fine, I'll do this. And then there's a there's an arc where he comes to really ca- course, care yeah. for Jan, the driver, and they have a nice relationship together. So some of it works. It's not great, but especially if you have a background in this game or this gaming, have an interest in, in motorsports, I think you'll get a lot of uh, thrills out of it. Just it's, it's longer than it needs to be. How often has we said that about movies lately? Yeah, too often. It's just, yeah, and, and what they try to, to push through the melodrama just isn't as successful as they would like it to be. But the racing and the graphics and the cinematography and how that is all filmed is, is pretty right on. So I ended up liking it, honestly, better than I thought I would. And uh, and held my interest, and that is Gran Turismo in theaters now. Well, let's stay in theaters and check out the latest special skills of Liam Neeson. He's a bank executive receiving a bomb threat while driving his children to school, and his car will explode if they stop and get out. It's retribution. You're a murderer now, Matt. You think I'm the bomber? Well, I guess you've had a tough day. I know that you lost a lot of money for your clients who invested in your fund. A lot of people are worried about you. You've got everybody's attention, Matt. He is still out there. If you can't find him, I will. I'm in control here. No, you're not. You hurt my daughter, son of a bitch. I will kill you. What's it gonna be? So like speed plus luck. Yeah, a little bit if you want to break it down that way. Uh, Liam is a bank executive and his family, he and his family live in Germany. And uh, the closest we get to character development is really a few forced scenes early on where he is just so clearly not paying attention to his his wife, played by M. Beth Davids, Mm -hmm. or his kids. And his, his kids are played by, well, the girl is Lily Aspel, who was young Diana in the two Wonder Woman movies. And then his son is Jack Champion, who we just saw in Avatar The Way of Water. And the kids are good. Anyway, so Liam decides, or not decides, he sort of is, you know, gilded into taking the kids to school on this day. And, uh, oop, bad day to do that because they get in the car and he gets a call from this disguised voice saying, yeah, there's bombs under the seats. There's pressure plates, so you can't get out. If you do, you're going to blow up, and you got to do what I say. So, what what what's the deal? What does the the voice want? Is it just a straight ransom thing, or maybe since uh, Liam is a banker, was it some failed banking advice and failed investments that maybe has ruined this person's life? We don't know. He doesn't know. The point is, he has to try to keep them all alive while he figures a way out of this. So, obviously, like you said, Locke, there's a lot of action there's a lot of the movie that's confined to the car mm-hmm. so the director is nimrod the director is nimrod antal who you probably know from predators and machete that this, mach, at first machete was good yes it Liked was it. yeah this could have used a little of that humor yeah it could have because you right away he starts because you're so confined to the car for much of the time he wastes no time doing all these different POV shots and and tricks with the mirrors and trying every which way to hold your interest with these inventive shots, which you can certainly understand the motivation behind that, but it starts to to wear thin and be just needlessly showy because, oh, we're in this car. Let's look this way. Right. Um, but 
it's not as dumb <laughs> as the rest of the movie. And <laughs> it's interesting because this is the third yeah. in, in a series of different language remakes from the original that goes back to 2015, Spanish, Spanish language thriller. So just in those eight years, this is the third one now. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of curious why it's so attractive. I guess it's because it's so... It's such a generic and, and derivative framework. You can just pick it up and move it. And and when you're going to do an English language film, this just screams Liam Neeson. I can see why he's in it. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't really have, you know, he's not an ex-black ops guy or just those sort of special just skills. Just a cranky banker. So that's kind of nice. Just a cranky banker with maybe who's maybe wrong some people. We don't know what's going on. Uh, you've also got in a couple of uh, strong supporting roles with limited screen time. You got Matthew Modine who plays his best friend, and also Noma Dumanzwini, who we just saw as the queen in uh, Little the, Mermaid, the new Little Mermaid. Yeah, she's really good. Yeah, at this. and she plays like the lead investigator mm-hmm. who's trying to help him gather. She is. She is very good. But as as it goes on, it's just so highly implausible. And I will say the screenwriter Christopher Samanpour, who adapts this. He makes some important alterations to the story, and I think there are some early on. There are there are changes that you think, okay, you're going to try to make something meatier out of this with a more of a message, something you're trying to say something here, but that doesn't come to fruition, unfortunately, because as it gets to its finale, which is so Scooby Doo, um, yeah, I mean we've seen we've seen movies delve into Scooby Doo uh, type of endings, but this one really. Really gets too close to that. But um, then it also just defaults into a sort of factory setting of Liam defending his daughter. So instead of going where you were hoping it was going to try to take on some meteor issues, just no, we're just going to do, we're just going to do what you you think we're going to do. Yeah. But when it gets down to the final, final confrontation with the man behind all this, the way that Salmonpour has changed it, it is better. If you've seen the very end of the film, the very yes, end, yeah. uh, how he gets out of it. If the very end, if you've seen the first one, he this one does better it. But by the end, it's not enough to save it, and you and you just sort of think this whole idea after three, one original and three remakes. Man, we're out of gas. We got to be out of gas now. Um, it's just not. It's just not satisfying or inventive enough, or even as far as the action goes. I mean, at least with the with the other Liam movies. You know, he he beats down the bad guys. Yeah. There's a lot of... He doesn't just sit. He doesn't just sit in a car. Right. I mean, so, yeah, there are explosions here because other people get involved and there are other bombs placed in, in other places that go off. So that's about the most action that you yeah. get. So even if you're looking for, you know, Taken Part 6, e- even though it does become a, a bit of a defending my daughter toward the end, it's it's not that. It's not that at all. But the ending is better if you've seen the original. And this is Retribution. It's in theaters now. Staying in theaters with, unfortunately, another disappointment. This one focuses on the intensely dramatic and high-stakes responsibilities and decisions that Golda Meir, also known as the Iron Lady of Israel, faced during the Yom Kippur War. This is called Golda. The Russians are preparing 11 airborne divisions. When I was a child in Ukraine, they would beat Jews to death in the street for fun. I am not that little girl hiding in the cellar. Do you know how many people died? All those boys. I will carry that pain to my grave. Who buys ladies' command? Who buys? 
we will keep fighting for a guarantee of life and peace. Well, she sure smoked. <laughs> Gold in my ear. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, uh, I mean, per this film, she literally never is awake without a cigarette in her mouth. Wow. Now, which I re- was fascinating to me. I remember her when I was a kid being all over the news, but I, d- I don't remember. Maybe she didn't smoke on camera. <laughs> Probably she didn't smoke on camera. So Helen Mirren uh, uh, plays Gold in my ear, and right there, that's there's some baggage right there. I mean. On the one hand, if Helen Mirren wants to be in your movie, you say yes. On the other hand, you know, it it really does stand out because the vast majority of the cast around her is Israeli. They are Israeli actors. Exactly. And to have an English woman play uh, Goldmeier, it does. I mean, it really does stand out a bit. And it also stands out partly because... Man, this movie loves loves it some uh, Helen Mirren. I mean, it's all close-ups and reaction shots and, you know, long, ponderous moments. And, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing necessarily because she's a remarkable talent. But it's um, it makes the movie feel like such a movie. It doesn't fit with the rest of the film where mm-hmm. everybody else's performance seems very naturalistic and there are these big rooms full of people. And But that's not really the problem with this movie um you know it's it's pretty brief which i appreciated it is an incredibly fascinating time period right so it opens with she's she's facing a council that is trying to understand how the intelligence failure led to the yom kippur war Mm -hmm. so instead of speaking we assume that the film is basically her remembrances of what led to this and that's that's a fine enough you know framework but from there, uh, it doesn't. It's not a really a biopic because we really don't learn anything about Golda Meir, right? I, except for how she dealt with this this several week window of her life. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not a war movie. We don't see any war action at all. So I guess what it's trying to be is like the political thriller of like strategizing and like espionage and and what happens in the war room. But even there, it just it's got. No, get up and go. It just it it doesn't have the like sizzle intention mm-hmm. that it needs to keep your attention. It's it just the film cannot decide what it is. The writer is Nicholas Martin. The director is Guy Native, I believe you pronounce it. And also, you mentioned the cast and especially the Israeli actors. One of our very favorites, Lior Ashkenazi. Great. Love him so much. Seen in so many great films. Oh, my films. God, and so many. He's, he's always fantastic. And also playing Henry Kissinger yeah. is Liev Schreiber. And he does a really good job. He does. <laughs> he's got that, that voice for it, you yeah. know, that low voice and the way of speaking. Yeah. And the way they have his, his hair, he's, he's sort of resembling. Yeah. He's a bigger man than Kissinger was, but he sort of resembles him. Yeah. it's uh, Yeah, he does, he does an absolutely fine job. There's no... Um, and it's not one of those where, like, all of a sudden, you're like... You know, like sometimes you'll see like Sean Penn show up halfway through a movie. You're yeah. like, look, it's Sean Penn. <laughs> and you don't get that feeling from yeah. when Liam Shriver shows up. He does a fine job. The whole cast does. Honestly, the whole cast does a fine job. There are no bad performances. Yeah. It's just that the movie, just it's these tonal shifts, it doesn't seem like it knows what it's doing. And there's no reason why. Because, you know, the the there was a spy. And and that's why, I mean, the, you know, who sat in the room and told Golda Meir... No, there's not going to be an attack. You know, we would have picked it up from intelligence. He can't flush the toilet that I don't hear him. 
and then you know you know no 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 there's a war like <laughs> that man's lying and yeah. yet that never amounts to anything i mean you're aware he's at fault they figure out he's at fault you never see what happens to the guy you know what i mean i mean they just it, the film doesn't capitalize on any of the tense opportunities that it has yeah so it just sort of sits there yeah and unfortunately wastes a, a good cast and of course the incredible helen mirren at the top as golda and that one is in theaters now well let's go to hulu next for a sequel a couple who meets up with another couple while on vacation in mexico see their friendship take an awkward turn when they get back home it's vacation friends two what are they doing letting us in a place this nice? How the hell did you get us in here? You didn't tell them. They're going to be long gone by the time I get into my birthday. You must be Mr. Parker. Apologies for the change in schedule. Mr. Young has invited you for drinks. All of you. Guys, I need you to be really cool. Can you do that for me? Look who you're talking to. When have we ever not been cool? Literally just released from San Quentin. <laughs> oh! This is not how I picture things going at all. It's cool, Marcus. It's cool. We floating, right? We floating. We floating. Why is so big at us? Ah! Let me down! Get your hands off my wife! Did you come? Ever since he showed up, he turned this relaxing family vacation into total chaos. Who does that? I remember being shocked by how entertained I was by the first Vacation Friends. I'm not going to say it was a gem, but I, I it, it, it certainly is a film that benefited from low expectations. But I laughed. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's, it's one of those films that's really perfect for something like Hulu because we talk about some of these that are going straight to the services that are sort of engineered to to keep your interest. They want you to watch the entire time. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, that benefits them. So it's just a series of antics that you really don't have to turn your brain on too much for oh there's a funny antic there and they're oh what are they doing they're trying to go scuba diving or surfing oh what's going on here and just it's this is not a road movie but it sort of falls into that just just more antics with these this these stars but i'm with you the first one was had some laughs this one unfortunately has fewer laughs and more convoluted antics but the foursome that we knew from the first are back together you got lil rel howry marcus and Emily, Yvonne Orhi, who we just saw in The Blackening and have seen in a bunch of stuff. So they're a couple. And then John Cena is Ron and Meredith Hagner is Kyla. And they got together last time. And, of course, they're two totally different. You know, uh, John and Meredith are just these boisterous and they're always they're causing nuts. a commotion. They're yeah. nuts. But they became friends. So now they're going on another trip together to this Caribbean resort because uh, John and Meredith, the characters, have sort of a, this is a, their honeymoon even though they, they have that little baby who they bring along. And that's the way that they bring it. If you remember the concierge from the first one, he was he was kind of funny, but in a limited role. Well, he's back in this basically to take care of their kid while they're off <laughs> causing trouble. But he they find other things for him to do, and he's funny, played by Carlos Santos. So you'll remember him as well. And then they throw, who they going to throw into the mix? Steve Buscemi. Why, okay. don't, why doesn't he show up as Meredith's father, who just got out of prison, and is going to join them there at a surprise visitor. Grandpa. At the, yeah, at the Caribbean uh, resort. But, oh, maybe it's because he still wants to, con- to continue his nefarious ways. And maybe he's meeting some drug dealers and, and what's going on. So there's there's a lot of that. There's just continued antics and misunderstandings. And, of course, Steve Buscemi doesn't like John Cena. 
He doesn't. He doesn't think he's tough at all, just because he's big. You know, you, you, have you killed anybody? You know, and things like that. So <laughs> you've got that, which is kind of funny because John Cena's character is always saying, "I like everybody, and everybody likes me." <laughs> and at the same time, Lil Rel thought that he had time. He was going to be meeting. You know, he runs. He has that construction company back home. Was trying to land this big account, and he was scheduled to meet with the CEO of this company who's going to do business with him. But after the other couple, John and Meredith, have gone home, well, of course, that that meeting gets pushed up. So everybody arrives while everybody else is at the resort there. So, of course, you're going to have some monkeys in that ranch. And it it just goes on and on and on with a good deal less laughs than the first one, uh, unfortunately. But I I do like all all the cast is good. I mean, they're likable. Mm -hmm. It just really runs out of gas. We've seen this. Before, the first yeah. time, when it was mildly amusing, and now they try to throw something with Steve Buscemi, who also is great. We love oh, Steve yes. Buscemi. Yeah, he is. I mean, part of the reason I think the first one uh, charmed people was because it was at the beginning of lockdown. And so, you know, they're all on vacation. You know, they all yeah. have to leave their houses. You're like, wow, remember when we got to leave our houses? <laughs> yeah, um. go on vacation? <laughs> right, right. Uh, the director is Clay Tarver. He's back from the first one. He also writes... This time, I think he's doing the the uh, screenplay by himself this time, and they throw in a little bit of a, a side plot. Well, uh, and they throw in a little bit of a side thing about how Emily wants now to have a baby, but she, and they throw in this little side thing about how Marcus and Emily, you know, Lil Rel and Yvonne have been talking about having a baby, but Emily doesn't really want to, and she's afraid to break it to Marcus. So you've got that bubbling under. And it's just not that interesting. And uh, if you're looking for laughs from the first one, again, it's one of those, like you say, if, you, if you're just walking by, say you're doing other things and it's on, <laughs> right. you're walking by, oh, what, what are they doing? You're folding laundry. Yeah, and, exactly. You know. And they're, oh, they're going surfing and he's taking a big nasty tumble <laughs> and just keep walking by. <laughs> Maybe that would fit the bill. But, you know, if you already have Hulu, uh, sure. We said that a lot. That's not exactly a, re- a glowing recommendation. It's not. But again, I- I'm with you. The first one was surprisingly, surprisingly funny. Mm-hmm. A few chuckles. I don't think I chuckled at all on this one. And it is Vacation Friends 2 on Hulu Now. Let's stay in VOD for a crime drama follows an investigation when a body of a caretaker is found in the middle of a construction site in the Garden of Carthage, a new district where modern buildings are juxtaposed with abandoned sites and wastelands. This is Ashkal, the Tunisian investigation. First of all, this movie is gorgeous. It's it's utterly gorgeous. And the way everything is framed and lit, it's it's just a stunning film. I, you know, it's it's good to know that the Tunisian Revolution started, I don't know, 15 years ago when a street vendor set himself on fire yeah. after um, yeah. being mis- mishandled by the police. And it and it kicked off a revolution. Yeah. So this film takes place about 15 years later when the corrupt were really never ousted. And there's a push to investigate and arraign and convict mm-hmm. those who caused the revolution, you know, the corruption that that inspired the revolution. And at the same time, there are self-immolations and they're happening everywhere and they're very mysterious. Yeah. And and so the police keep insisting that there is a terrorist who is setting people on fire, but there's no evidence of that. There's no evidence of anything. In fact, there's no evidence of gasoline being on these people. There's no evidence 
of the bruising that happens automatically when once you're on fire, you just run around and fall. It's it's a big mystery. So that's, you know, it's a police procedural that balances with the supernatural really, really well. Uh, it's not a very long movie. The performances are wonderful. It is. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's easy to sort of chalk this up as being a comment on Tunisia. But honestly, right, right. it is it is more universally applicable than I think I'd like to admit. Oh, yeah. You could find a lot of parallels to uh, here at home for sure. Yeah. But- and it's and again, it's really well acted, but it's just stunningly shot. Mm. And that's always always a plus. But when the story is as, as riveting as and absorbing as this, yeah. it's even better. And you're right. It's only uh, just about 90 minutes. Uh, so you can catch it on VOD now, and it is recommended, called Ashkal, the Tunisian Investigation. And one more on VOD, a horror sci-fi thriller. A couple find themselves trapped while on a run around a pond. It's called Brightwood. Whoa, what the hell? Why would you need to run into me? I want to show you something. Okay, I don't see anything. There's the sign. Yeah? Where's the trail? This doesn't make any sense. Did we pass it? I don't think so. Go talk to him. I don't want to go up to him. You go up to him. Go talk to the guy. What if he's violent? Well, this was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Brandon Thomas. Really liked the film, and it is a, it's basically a time loop film, but instead of getting caught up in all the mechanics of time looping, it focuses on the intimacy of this couple, and I think that's one of the things that Brandon felt made it work. Yeah, and it's, it, it sets you on edge at the very beginning because you're, you're joining this couple mid-argument, Um the the man has clearly pissed his wife off. Yes, and, and they're he's going not, for a run. He's not helping matters by tagging <laughs> along on her right. run, and she clearly just wants to get away from him, go on a run, kind of work that he just won't. He just won't let that happen. And so then, you know, and it's kind of maybe metaphorical for their relationship, these patterns. But what the what the film does is really inventive. It's very interesting and eventually quite bloody. It's uh, yeah. it's just a fascinating. You know, low-budget science, science. It's just very imaginative. Yeah, the writer-director is Dane Elkar. Uh, the couple, played by Dana Berger and Max Wharton, Wartendike. Hope I pronounced that. But, yeah, really, really fascinating as it starts out with this couple arguing with, you know, most people can identify with that. And they're just <laughs> on a run, and she's a, clearly a better runner than he is. <laughs> and then, yeah, the weird thing where they start seeing the same markings and, and, and get and lost. the same people. Yeah. And the, yeah. What's one, going on one, here? Yeah, really weird uh, woman in a, in a hoodie. Yeah, and things get things get really, like you said, bloody. So. You love to see this sort of stuff, especially when it's a little more low budget, like mm-hmm, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But, man, the storytellers are out there. Yeah. They are out there and the performers. And this is really one to uh, to check out and enjoy. And it is on Prime Video now. Time loop uh, from a different angle and definitely worth checking out. And it's called Brightwood. All right. Well, we missed the schlocketeer last week. He was off, but he's back and ready to roll. Let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Well, after a week off, we're checking back in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, in the lobby with lots of fresh news and, I'm assuming, fresh postponements. Yes. Uh, of course, uh, you know, Sony, a few weeks ago, pushed Craven the Hunter back you know, and almost an entire year to mm-hmm. August of next year and shifts around some other stuff. Well, this week, Warner Brothers made some changes, not as many, but a couple big ones, uh, the biggest one being that Instead of Dune Part 2 coming out this November, it is now coming out March of next year, which in turn bumped Godzilla X-Kong back a month to April of next year, which in turn dominoed um, the animated Lord of the Rings movie, uh, War of the Rohirrim, all the way to December of next year. Big shifts on that front. Yeah, and I'm sure we won't be done as this strike drags on. Probably not. I wouldn't be surprised if a couple more move. Uh, there aren't too many big blockbusters left for the year, but you know, you've got some of the smaller movies that the studios probably hope to do well that they might want to just start pushing into 2024. Well, I saw you post today about the Marvels. Mm-hmm. Um, see, the big one with that is, you, of course, they've marketed that one a ton. Of course, you know, Warner Brothers had with Dune as well, but just looking at that way, you know, we're usually used to getting three Marvel movies a year. The ones that they had set for next year were Captain America 4, Deadpool 3, and a movie called The Thunderbolts. Captain America 4 finished principal photography, but you know they haven't had time to shoot any additional photography that they might need. They definitely haven't done ADR for the actors, so that one's not done. Deadpool 3 didn't even finish shooting, and the other one hadn't even started yet. So right now, there's technically no Marvel movie ready for next year. So if the Marvel's gets moved out of November, that will probably be why. Right. But there's is stuff that people can watch soon, so that's always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Meg to the Trench hit premium VOD today. So, you know, after you listen to this podcast, you can hop off and watch it. If you like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny hits premium VOD on August 29th. Um, there's a Russo Brothers produced horror film called All Fun and Games that's premiering on VOD on September 1st. It stars um, Ozzy Butterfield, uh, Keith David, and Natalia Dyer. And Barbie hits premium VOD on September 5th, so that's pretty close as well. And I, Barbie also has an, uh, an IMAX with some few extra scenes coming out, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, supposedly there's. I think there might be a couple of scene extensions and then some sort of post-credit sequence. I'm sure it's nothing major but you know anything that if you if you loved the movie and you would need an excuse to see it again they're right. giving you one exactly uh the live action remake of the little mermaid will hit disney plus on september 6th and there's a <laughs> malaysian horror film called blood flower premiering on shutter on september 8th Ooh. pablo lorraine's political satire horror film el conde will premiere on netflix on september 15th that's about a um I guess, uh, an evicted uh, dictator who happens to be a vampire. That might be interesting. Yeah, I like Pablo Lorraine. Um, Amazon's Michael Pena, starring NASA drama A Million Miles Away, will premiere on September 15th. September 15th is a big day, by the way. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Supernatural horror flick Elevator Game is premiering on Shatter on September 15th. And also on September 15th will be the Peacock premiere of Fast X. Uh, there's a Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott starring thriller called Sanctuary hitting Hulu on September 21st. Uh, the horror comedy Shaky Shivers is getting a Fathom Events one-night-only theatrical release on September 21st. And the very next day, um, 
the angry black girl and her monster will hit Shutter on September 22nd, That's which a good you one. know got a small run earlier this summer, but now everyone can see it there. Yeah. And for the final two on September 22nd, the latest entry in Robert Rodriguez's family spy saga, Spy Kids Armageddon, is premiering on Netflix. And Shout Studios has set a September 28th release for the thriller The Kill Room, which stars Uma Thurman, Joe Manganiello, and Samuel L. Jackson. Keep us updated, as always, as these dates move around. You can follow Daniel on the socials at The Schlocketeer and right here in the lobby. Thank you much. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, a couple that we have been looking forward to. I know I've been looking forward to. Equalizer 3 comes out next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one as well. Maybe not quite as much, but I am. <laughs> also, Bottoms. We're both looking forward to that yes, one. Yes, that looks quite funny. Perpetrator from one of our favorites uh, filmmakers, Jennifer Reeder, is yes. out next week. Yes. Also, Nandor Fodor and the Talking Mongoose. I'm in. <laughs> when, I, when, I, when I first read this, I thought it was Between Two Ferns, the movie. <laughs> No, there's one called Between Two Worlds. <laughs> also, The Fallen Bridge. And Ernest and Celestine, A Trip to Gibberthia. Okay, couple of <laughs> couple of interesting titles next week. We're going to see what those are all about. Uh, but this week, what do you think? Gran Turismo, Retribution, Vacation Friends 2. Uh, let us know. What are you going to see? Well, we talked about uh, National Cinema Day, That's which right. is coming up. Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, we're recording this on Friday, so in a couple of days, a lot of theaters around the country, all around the country, are taking part in National Cinema Day, which means $4 films. That's right. If you haven't seen Barbie, if you haven't seen Oppenheimer, and you probably haven't seen Blue Beetle, right. judging by the numbers, mm -hmm. it's a great chance to take advantage of the $4 tickets. Yeah, exactly. So check your local listings, because not every single... you know, The theaters don't have to participate, no, but many, no many are, and it's a great way to get out, and if it's as hot in your region as <laughs> is, is here in Columbus, Ohio this weekend, getting into the air conditioning for an hour and a half or two hours, not a bad thing, no. especially for four bucks, uh, so check your listings and enjoy some movies, and we always enjoy talking about them, so uh, keep in touch. You can find us easily at Mad Wolf on uh, X. Twitter? Do I have to say? <laughs> just Twitter. We just call it Twitter. Right. Yeah, I thought you were going to reach across and slap me. <laughs> also, uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram, and also Threads, mm -hmm. and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there at madwolf.com. So a lot of ways to keep in touch. We hope you will. Stay cool. And until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.